you have a Bible this morning, please take it and open to an unusual Christmas passage, but 2 Thessalonians. Some of you are thinking, no, I know exactly that's where we were going to go. 2 Thessalonians, find chapter 1. And by the way, I would just like to say for all of you who forgot to turn your sprinklers off, thank you. I've enjoyed seeing the beautiful ice all over your front yards. This morning, we are going to talk about the unfinished Christmas story. Or for those of you who've been around long enough, as Paul Harvey used to say, the rest of the story, right? And today we're going to be looking about, or we're gonna be looking at what Paul wrote to the church there at Thessalonica. You see, the Jesus who came the first time is coming again. And guys, Christmas is not complete apart from the second coming of Jesus Christ. Uh, the incarnation without the coronation, it would be like the East without the West. It would be like, uh, it'd be like an engagement without the marriage. And so it's important for us to understand that everything is not exhausted on his first coming. And it's not complete until he comes again. I love the old story that I heard of this weary traveler that checked into his hotel one night and he was so tired. It was late and he went to his room and he, uh, he was taking his shoe off and he took it off and it fell and it hit the floor. And then all of a sudden he thought, oh man, that is so unkind of me. I'm not even thinking about those folks that are probably sleeping underneath me. And so he took his second shoe off and this time he did it very gently and he placed it on the floor and he went to bed. About an hour later, there was a knock at his door. It was the guy who was staying in the room directly underneath him. And here's what he said. Would you please drop the other shoe? We can't go to sleep. We're waiting on the other shoe to drop. Well, friends, listen to me. I love Christmas, but there's another shoe to drop. And the best is yet to come. I can remember as a child, and we had a Christmas, and I thought it was a, I thought it was a pretty good Christmas, but frankly, I was little, a little upset because I thought that there were some others who might have gotten just a little bit more than I got. Uh, I was about 10 years of age, and I desperately wanted an Atari gaming system, the 2600. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Well, it was about $150. That would be an expensive purchase for my family on one individual. But Christmas morning came and I opened up the presents and there it was. That's all I got, the Atari. And I thought, man, this is the greatest thing in the world. Now, Atari would prepackage some games with the gaming system, but all those games were terrible. One had something to do with math. You had the Indy 500, that was okay, but you can only drive a car so long with a joystick. And then they had, uh, all the ones with the tanks, combat. 
combat was the best one out of all the prepackaged ones, and it was still terrible. You had two tanks that hid behind, uh, I don't know, kind of a wall, I guess, and you would try to shoot and ricochet your uh, bullets so that they might hit the other tank. And very quickly, you would get bored. It does not even compare to some of the graphics in the games today. Uh, I very quickly was exhausted playing the prepackaged games. What I desperately wanted, what game did I desperately want? Pac-Man. Pac-Man, some of you've walked to where I've been. Pac-Man was another 50 bucks. My folks couldn't afford to do that, to buy the gaming system and then Pac-Man. So I'm there and you're like, oh golly, you can only play these lame games so long. And then my mom said, hey, hey, get ready. We're gonna go over to your grandmothers and your, your cousins are there and your aunts and your uncles are there and we're gonna, we're gonna eat lunch with them and we're gonna exchange gifts over there. And so we went over to my grandmothers. I was excited because there was one aunt that was going to be there that always went over the top buying gifts for Christmas. It was my Aunt Glenda. She had a son she still does, Jay, he's a little bit older than I am. And Jay always, they lived in Memphis and Jay always had the, uh, the most up-to-date games. It was in the back of the conversion van that his family had that I first saw the game Pong. Or is it Ping? I can't remember. Pong, right? Okay. And so we went over there and his mom, my aunt said, Jay, show Stephen what you got for Christmas. He didn't get Pac-Man, he already had Pac-Man. He got Mrs. Pac-Man. <laughs> Very few folks even had that. I'd never seen it in person, only, only at the arcade, right? And she said, Jay, give Stephen his gift. And he gave me my gift and I opened it. And there it was, Pac-Man from my cousin. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, you know, Christmas is pretty good. My folks had said, hey, you know, did you enjoy your Christmas? Yeah, it was good, it was good. Yes, sir, yes, ma'am, thank you. I enjoy what I got, but I wanna tell you something better was coming. And it's exactly the same way when we read our text this morning and we thank God for what we have. But I tell you, the Heavenly Father has so much in store when Jesus comes back again. The Christ of Christmas is coming again. That's what it's gonna talk about. Find verse seven of 2 Thessalonians chapter one this morning. Paul's writing to people who are not, they're not much different than you and I are. They were living in a chaotic time. They were living in a time where it seems as though evil was prevailing. They were living in a time where even they themselves were starting to, I don't want to use the word question, but they were starting to have faith issues. Is he really coming back? Is, is, he, is he really the king? And so it's in that context that he writes what he writes, and he writes to us today here at Highland Park. Look there with me first, or excuse me, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7. He says, and to give you who are troubled rest with us 
when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Some of you are thinking, wow, what a great Christmas text. Verse 10, when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. Therefore, we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of his calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power. You see, the reason why I've gone to this text this morning is I think we would all admit that we get wrapped up in the little baby that was born. And then we even go beyond the baby that was born and we go to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And we say, yes, he did. He died for our sins. And we all would say, yes, thank God he did do that. But I want to remind you that the Christmas message is this. The first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus are linked together. Let's look at the Christmas story. Luke chapter one, the angel is talking to Mary concerning the birth. And look at what it says in verse 31 of Luke, verse, Luke chapter one. Do we have that text? Luke 1, 31, thank you. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son. And we'll call his name Jesus. That literally happened, didn't it? Absolutely, historians tell us that happened. She conceived, she brought forth a name, a son. She named him Jesus. Continue reading. And he shall be great, shall be called the son of the highest. Well, that's true. He is great. He is the son of the highest. Now watch this, continue to read the rest of the story. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. It not only speaks of the Jesus who redeemed, it talks about the Jesus who reigns. Not only the Jesus who came the first time, but the Jesus who is coming the second time to sit upon the throne of his father David. And notice what it says here, to rule over the house of Jacob. Now that would have been the name for, for fleshly Jews, right? That he's gonna rule forever and ever and ever. The most glorious fact of the past is that Jesus Christ came the first time. The most glorious fact of the future is that Jesus Christ is coming again. That the one sure hope, church, that we have in this chaotic, uh, jittery world is the second coming of Jesus Christ. I'm saying, guys, Christmas would not nearly be as significant. The death and burial would not nearly be as significant. Even the resurrection would not nearly be as significant if it were apart from the second coming of Jesus Christ. 
There's a glorious contrast that Paul is making in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. You see, the very first time that he came, he came to die in the sinner's place. And the scripture tells us this, that when he comes again, he is coming to execute judgment on those who refuse, who refuse his grace and his love. That when he came the first time, he came as a messenger of love. When he comes the second time, he'll come as a righteous judge. He'll come in vengeance. When he came the first time, he came, he came the greatest of humility. We say deity in diapers. When he comes the second time, he is coming as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. When he came the first time, he came as the lowly Nazarene. But when he comes again, he is coming as the one who will rule and he will reign over the universe. The first time he came, he was despised. He was rejected by men. The scriptures tell us that he comes again, he will be glorified, and he will be admired among all of them who believe. No longer will it be a crown of thorns. It'll be a diadem. No longer will it be a cradle of straw. It'll now be a crown of glory. Now with that in mind, as you think about the rest of the story, as you think beyond this gospel and Christmas narrative, I wanna give you three things that I think should deliver Christmas cheer that, that really ought to encourage us as we live in this old, weary, worn out world. Look back in verse seven. Look at what he says in 2 Thessalonians 1. He says, and to give you who are troubled, rest with us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed. Do you know what he is saying? You don't have to be disturbed. At ease. Rest. You don't have to be weary. Quit your worry. Can I ask you, are you troubled today? Listen, he says, it's not over yet. This is a glorious story, but it's an unfinished story. You say, Pastor, but we live in a world that is so very dark, and yes, it is so very, very dark, but may I remind you that the darkest of the night is right before the sunrise. So with that being said, three things that I want you to see that I hope encourage you on this Christmas morning. The first one is I want you to see the who of his coming. Let us be reminded on this Christmas morning of 2022 that our hope is not in politics. Our hope is not in sociology. Our hope is not in science. Our hope and the only sure hope of this old world is the very second coming of Jesus Christ. Today he's despised. Today he's mocked, today he's rejected, but he's coming as the Lord Jesus Christ, according to what it says here, to be glorified and to be admired. Now look in verse 10. We'll spend a lot of time in verse 10. In verse 10, it says again, when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired. Now if you're saved today, you're one of his saints. 
You've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. You have a personal relationship with him. It means there has been a point in your life where you have surrendered control and your faith and trust rest in him. It does not mean that you are perfect. It means that you are forgiven. You are a saint. That if you are not saved, if you're unsaved, then you're not one of the saints that he is talking about in this passage of scripture. That his coming, it may strike terror in your heart. Oh my goodness, he could come back at any time and I'm not ready. But if you're saved, you're going to say, oh, glory be to God. Glory unto the Lamb. Isn't he beautiful? Isn't it great that he is coming back again? See, he's coming to be admired. That is the who of his coming. But then I want you to see the when of his coming. Coming, look at verse 10 again. When he comes. Do you see that? Say when with me this morning. When. Can we do it again? When. Not if. When. There are no ifs, ands, or buts about it. He is coming again. You say, well, pastor, are you going to tell us a date? <laughs> No, because the date is only known to God alone. Jesus himself even said this over in Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. He said, even the angels do not know that time, only my father. Any man that sets a date for the second coming of Jesus Christ, they are a heretic. They are a false prophet because the Bible says that it is blasphemy. The Bible forbids it. And I can promise you this. Anytime you hear someone state a date for the second coming of Jesus Christ, it is guaranteed it will not be that date. But there is a when. It's not an if. When the Lord Jesus comes. That's what our verse says. When he comes, his coming is kind of like a sunrise. You know, you stop and think about this. You can't stop the sun from rising. You can't hurry the sun up to rise. I remember one time hearing an old country preacher say this, that it's a lot like the little boy who went to bed one night and he wondered where the sun had gone. And then all of a sudden it dawned on him. Notice, that was not my joke, that was his. I'm just saying the coming of Jesus Christ is gonna be just like that. That one day Jesus Christ is gonna pull back the shades of light and, and he's going to put, pin them open with a star and he's gonna open up the door of the morning and he's gonna flood the world with the sunlight of his presence. What a day that's gonna be, guys. What a day that's going to be. That's the when of his coming. That is the who of his coming. But then I also want you to see the wonder of his coming. Look in verse 10 again. When he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired. You see that word admired in verse 10. The word admired in verse 10 literally means to wonder at. It means that we are in awe. We are in wonder. 
You see, when we see Jesus, we're, we're not going to see him as a baby with little dimpled feet there in the straw. He will come to be glorified. And oh, how we will, we will wonder, right? Oh, how we will, we will be admiring. Oh, how we will be in awe. Well, what are we going to wonder at? It doesn't leave us to guess. It tells us. First of all, we're going to wonder at his transforming love. Look at what it says in verse 10 again. When he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints. His saints. Who do you think his saints are going to be? They're going to be all those that were stubborn, they were God-hating, they were unbelieving, they were wicked, they were vulgar people who were transformed just like us. They're going to be those who were once ignorant, those that were blind, those that we thought had gone too far and were beyond any help, and the Spirit of God reached down from heaven and snatched their soul out of hell. Those who stumbled in the darkness and now they've seen the light. Those are his saints. Those is. It's going to be those, they were demonized by sex, they were demonized by drugs, they were demonized by greed, and now they're going to be just like the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we see them with him, there's not going to be a bit of sin, there's not going to be a spot of sin. We're not even talking about a wrinkle of sin. He's going to be glorified. And he's going to be with his saints. And I'm just saying, wow, what transforming love. I'm in awe. It causes me to just be in wonder. Oh, my goodness. Only the love of Jesus Christ could do that. Only the love of Jesus Christ could forgive and cleanse and change as his saints, we're going to be just in awe, in admiration at his coming because we are going to see other folks that are there and we're going to be like, oh my goodness, I can't believe they're there. And they're going to look at some of you. And they're going to say, oh my goodness, I didn't think I would see you here. And here's what you're both going to say. Only by the grace of God. Not only his transforming love, but we'll wonder at his saving grace. Notice here it doesn't say he's going to be glorified with all those who gave tons of money to the church. Notice it does not say here that he's going to be glorified with all those who lived impeccable lives. It does not say here he's going to be glorified with all those who were big shots. What does it say here? All those who believe. Now think about that, friend. Don't you dare go past that. That is grace. 
Do you wanna know how that you can know that you're gonna go to heaven? Suppose God said this, everybody who wants to be saved, I want you to run around the church. There's some folks that can't run. Suppose God said this, everybody who wants to be saved, I want you to read a chapter in the Bible. There's some folks that can't read. Suppose he said, everybody who wants to be saved, I want you to give $100. There are some folks that don't have $100. But that's not what it says. It says he is going to be glorified in all those who believe. And there are some of us that read that, and here's what we say. That's just too simple. We've got to do something else. Surely there is something else. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of preaching out there today where people are preaching about what they call easy believism. That I've heard preachers say this, oh, I am opposed to easy believism. You better be careful when you say that. What do you want, hard believism? I know I sure don't want hard believism. Be careful that unless you, in your effort to make stronger, better saints, you say it's not enough just to believe. Friends, listen to me. It is enough to believe in Jesus if you truly believe. Now, I'm not talking about an intellectual belief. I'm talking about a belief that says you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ with faith. That when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, God forgives your sins. And that is grace. And it's amazing. And there's nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing you can do to win it. There's nothing you can do to deserve it. That if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he will save you. And look at these people. They're saints. They're saints. They're just like Jesus. You say, how did they get to be like Jesus? They believed on him. The Bible says so simply, so sweetly, so surely in Acts 16, 31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That is amazing. That is amazing. And when we read that, we're like, oh, no, no, there's got to be more. There's got to be something else. See, here's what that does. That chops the legs out from underneath the self-righteous person who thinks that he's going to strut his way into heaven by his own good works. And yet God says this over in Isaiah chapter 64, verse six, he says that your good works, he doesn't say your bad works, he doesn't say your wicked works, he says the very best you've got are like filthy rags in my sight. And so you cast yourself upon his mercy and you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And we are going to be in admiration and we're going to be saying, oh my goodness, look at his transforming love. Look at the chain. Look at what, look at what he has done. Look at who he has saved. And then we're going to sit there in case we get high and mighty of ourselves. We're going to say, oh, but wait, I was saved the exact same way. I didn't do anything to merit it. There's no way that I could have earned it, but by faith I received it. Let us be careful that we don't play Monday morning quarterback with someone's salvation and soul. And the third, we'll wonder at his transforming power, at his saving grace. Finally, at his keeping power. Look in verse 10 again. It says, when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired. Now watch this. In, now what's that next little three-letter word? All, in all, in all, those that believe. Not a one is lost. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, I'm telling you, no one will perish. Not one. Verse 10, because our testimony among you was believed. That's talking about the power of the gospel, our testimony among you. Can I tell you, that's why I'm preaching this morning. That's why I got here early to get on my knees before I came out here and I prayed. Why? Because I want you to believe what I'm telling you. And if you believe in this day, friend, in that day you'll be in the group called saints. And you'll be in that group because you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and he will never, he will never, no, he will never forsake you. And you'll be glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be admiring the Lord Jesus Christ. It says all those who believe and we read this and we're like, my goodness, I can hardly wait for that day when he is going to be glorified and he's going to be admired and he's going to show who truly is the king of kings, right? Who is the blessed and only potentate when that day comes. And so the reason why I say I give this to you to encourage you today is because I don't want you to sit there living in the world that we live in, seeing all the things that are happening in the world that we live in. I don't want you to get, um, I don't want you to get the heebie-jeebies. You know what that is, the heebie-jeebies? You know, where you're just like, ooh, I just had a cold chill. Ooh, I don't, something's not right. I just feel it's not right. No, no, no. Don't go around with headline hysteria. Oh my goodness, did you see what the news said today? Now what does he say? You who are troubled, rest with us. Why? Jesus is coming again. That you can be sure of. He is coming again. That is a rock solid hope. He is coming again. And again, I want to tell you this, that the only hope of this jittery old world that we find ourselves living in is the second coming of Jesus Christ. I believe that with all my heart. If you're counting on hope in anything else, I mean, it's, 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 it's like you're rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. It's hopeless. 
Now, Jesus came the first time, and there was no room for him. No room for him at the end. When he comes again, he'll come as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The unfinished story of Christmas is this. Jesus Christ is coming again. And what Paul is telling us this morning is that when he comes, our Lord will reign. Jesus came the very first Christmas to die in the sinner's place. Jesus Christ is coming the second Christmas to receive the sinner unto himself. Now stop and think. Our faith looks backward at a crucified Savior. Our love looks upward at a crowned Savior. But our hope looks forward at a coming Savior. And that is the finished Christmas story. One day, he'll neatly tie it all together. And he'll fix what you and I in sin have messed up. Glory be unto God. Praise be unto Jesus Christ. And so this afternoon, when you do whatever you do, you eat your ham, you eat your turkey, somebody each the Christmas tree pickle, whatever it is. Somebody told me last night, Pastor, that is a German tradition. I, I never heard that. We didn't do that in Tennessee. That you hide a pickle in the tree and the first one to find the pickle has a special treat. Somebody said to you, the first one who eats the pickle gets a special treat. I'm like, I bet they do get a special <laughs> treat. They Eat a pickle that's been hanging on a Christmas tree for 30 days. Probably everybody in the house is going to get that special treat. Whatever you do today, remember, yes, he came. Thank you, God, that he came. But rest easy. Don't worry. He's coming again. And the saints will celebrate in his glory. Hey guys, this is Pastor Stephen Kyle. And I want to thank you for listening to this week's issue of the podcast called Unchangeable Truth. Let me encourage you as well, if you get a chance, go check out our website. It's Highland, H-I-L-A-N-D, Park, P-A-R-K, dot org. On that website, you'll learn more about our ministry at Highland Park Baptist Church. You can also listen to some previous sermons, which are archived for the previous year. And as well, if you ever find yourself in Panama City in person, come and check us out. Worship with us live at 2611 Highway 231 North. And we would also love to talk to you about Jesus Christ. If you've got any questions regarding your relationship with Him, having faith in Him, or if this podcast has encouraged you, or you have other questions regarding the podcast, feel free, shoot us an email at podcast at highlandpark.org. As always, our prayer is that this podcast would point you to Jesus Christ, would increase your faith, and would help you as you mature daily in your walk with Jesus Christ. God bless.